0: Welcome back to the Powell Butte Christian Church podcast of our Sunday sermons. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm the teaching pastor here at Powell View Christian Church, and many of you have been listening online, and we had been recording our Sunday sermons and uh, on Sunday mornings, and then we decided, you know what, we're just going to make this a podcast, and sometimes this will be a conversation with other people, and sometimes it'll just be the notes of, of what this sermon was, is all about, I do want to thank uh, our producer, Lisa Welly, for helping us get this up and running and for doing all of the work on the post-recording uh, of the production of this thing. Anyway, if you've been following, uh, we've been uh, going through a series called What Happy Couples Know. It's about marriage. We've been going through the the Sermon on the Mount, and we got to uh, a teaching of Jesus when He was talking about divorce and remarriage, and we thought it would be best to then talk not just about the negatives but to talk about the positives, all the things that God has in His Word for us, all the tools that He gives to us to have a successful and happy marriage. Now, it's been a couple of weeks since we've talked about this because I had a, a bit of an accident a couple of weeks ago where a dog bit me in the corner of my mouth, and I couldn't talk very well for a couple of weeks. But you know what? God has uh, brought some healing back to my body, and I'm feeling good, and uh, Satan is not going to win by taking away my mouth because I will continue to proclaim the message. And so hopefully you are ready to open up your Bibles and see what God has in store for us today. As I said, we're in this series called What Happy Couples Know, and this is part three. Now, in the first couple weeks, we saw a number of things. We saw, first of all, that our spouse owes us nothing. You know, when we bring desires into our marriage, those desires can turn into expectations. And and what we thought were just mere desires to our spouse, they seem like these heavy expectations, this burden that they did not sign up for. What was meant to be enjoyable and fulfilling becomes transactional. Everybody negotiating their own positions, and that, that's not very romantic, is it? when you get into this well i did this for you now you have to do this for me well, we we spent this christmas with your family now we get to spend christmas with my family and once you get into that you 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 move into a debt debtor relationship rather than a partnership it's a debt debtor relationship we we think that our spouse somehow owes us something and that is unhealthy because if we only think that our spouse owes us things, then nothing that they give to us will ever be considered a blessing. It will only be seen as a debt. So we've seen that. We've also seen how, you know, a marriage covenant can slip into a winner-loser situation when when you start to get into that negotiation mode. There's a danger of letting your marriage slip into a winner-loser situation because if one spouse wins a certain negotiation, if one spouse wins a certain, uh, shall we say, discussion, then guess what? The other spouse then is the loser, right? And that's problematic because, number one, nobody ever wants to be the loser. And number two, nobody really wants to be married, to a loser. So you can say that as soon as me wins then we loses. As soon as the concept of me and what what I want, as soon as I win then the the relationship, the marriage, the relationship does not win. It loses. So a few weeks ago we saw how happy couples understand that the best way to live in godly love is to have mutual submission a race to get in the back of the line for the other person, desiring what is best for them, trusting then that God is the one that will bring you the desires of your heart. And we admit that it's scary to go first, to to make that first move, to, to be the first one to put their spouse first, because what happens if they don't respond? But happy couples know that you have to go first in order to be last, in order to win in the relationship for we to win and not just me. So where does that lead us? Well, for that, we're going to look at today the insights that the Spirit gave to us through the words of the Apostle Peter. Now, Peter was one of Jesus' earliest followers and closest friends. Uh, Peter was there to hear Jesus at the Last Supper as he spoke about that new command to love each other. We saw that a couple weeks ago. To love each other as Jesus had loved them, to put their needs first. And then the dots were connected once Peter realized what the meaning of Jesus' death was, that, that it was there to pay for the sins of humanity. This was the ultimate act of humility. Peter knew that. And for Peter, though he would use different language than Paul, he all, who spoke of you know mutual submission, we saw that a couple weeks ago. For Peter, humility that he saw in Jesus on the cross, humility was the key. You know, there's a uh, there's a story that I ran across a couple of weeks ago about a a Russian uh, cruise liner, the SS Admiral Nakhimov. I think it's Nakhimov, Nakhimov. It had 888 passengers. 346 crew members and and as they launched in, in the 80s i think it was about 86 just minutes into their voyage the ship's pilot noticed that they were on a collision course with this large russian cargo carrier the ss piotr Vasov, so you got two ships one, one carrying passengers one carrying cargo the nakamov with 1234 people on board and the Vassev, which was just this big old liner, a, a, a cargo carrier. Well, the, the pilot on the Nakamov radioed a warning to the Vasev and said, listen, we're on a collision course. And that ship replied, don't worry. We're going to pass clear of each other. We're going to take care of everything. So the captain of the Nakamov said, okay, well, if you're going to take care of it, I can go back to bed. And uh, he did. He put his second in, in command in charge. But the captain of the Vassev did nothing, did nothing to slow the ship down, did nothing to change the course. And at 11.12 p.m., just an hour and 15 minutes into the voyage, the Admiral Nakimov was struck by the Vassev nine miles away from port. They had no time to launch the lifeboats. Hundreds of people dove into the oily water. They were clinging to life jackets and barrels and pieces of debris. And the SS Admiral Nakamov sank in seven minutes. Out of the 1,234 people on board, 423 of them died. And today, the wreck of the Admiral Nakamov lies on its starboard side in 150 feet of water in Temis Bay. You know, what I get from that story is that pride goeth before a wreck. Don't worry about it. We're going to pass clear of each other. We're going to take care of everything. Pride goeth before a wreck, church, every single time. And what's true for ships is true for marriages. I have found that the biggest obstacle for married couples is this hurdle that, that, that takes you from me to we, to turn that M upside down, to, to no longer think of uh, of, of the, the marriage in, in terms of what you can get out of it, but what's going to be best for the marriage. In our Western culture, you know what, marriages are put off until our late 20s or 30s, sometimes even early 40s. And have you ever noticed that by this time, you have gotten pretty entrenched in who you are. You, you've gotten used to being by yourself, caring for your own needs, filling your wants whenever you want to without any interference with anybody else. But then you introduce a good-looking companion to the mix, somebody who makes you feel good, somebody who makes you feel good about you. They, they, they seem to fulfill all of those needs and desires that you have in your box your your uh, desire for companionship your desire for sexual gratification which by the way folks just kind of as a side note that's why it's very very dangerous to be messing around with somebody with whom you're not ready to make a lifelong commitment okay because those, those feelings and, and, and being gratified sexually gives you a false sense of this could be the one that I could spend the rest of my life with because you're focusing in on what you're getting right then and there. Uh, you, you see this person as the one who will fulfill your desire for feeling important, for, for being wanted. And often the relationship suddenly then revolves around what your spouse or what your potential spouse can do for you not necessarily the other way around. I ask couples who come to, for, to me for premarital counseling, all the time I ask this question, why do you want to get married? Why do you want to marry this particular person? Most of the time, most of the time, the answer is, well, you know, she makes me feel this way or he does this for me. And I say, that's wonderful. But what happens down the road when she doesn't make you feel that way, when he doesn't do that for you. Is the reason that you are marrying simply because you are getting your desires fulfilled? You're getting something that you wanted, and it's all about you? Does anybody ever get married so that they can actually fulfill the other person's desires? See, the idea of going from me to we, that's thats different, because it's not just about me. Nor is it just only about the other person either. This past week I heard a great illustration. It's like the difference between having two pieces of fruit, different kinds of fruit, like a a mango and a banana, for example, just sitting there in a bowl. They're right next to each other. They they could even be touching each other. But they're still distinct pieces of fruit. Then you, you look at those same two pieces of fruit that you put into a blender. And now, now they become something different. The two individual fruits have become one. They've they've gone from me, individual, to we, together. Now, they still have their own flavor, but they're also enhancing the flavor of the other person. That's the idea of going from me to we. I hope that makes sense. It really was a great illustration that a friend of mine uh, explained to me this last week. Now, one thing that should make sense is that the whole process of going from me to we involves humility. Humility. And unless and until we understand the scriptural principle of humility, the scriptural principle that Jesus taught, that Paul taught, and this morning we're going to see that Peter taught, we will find ourselves unfulfilled in whatever relationship that we enter into. God designed marriage to, to be the most fulfilling and intimate relationship that we have outside of our relationship with him but if we don't get this understanding about humility we will not find that fulfillment because we'll continue to look for something that will make us happier and happier and happier because it's about us so let's look at first peter that's way in the back of your new testament it's after hebrews and james it's before first second third john but right there is first and second peter And we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5, and I I want to look at the second part of verse 5 of 1 Peter chapter 5. Listen to what Peter says. He says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. You know, church, without humility as a foundation then when stuff hits the fan in your marriage, you will probably respond in in an unhealthy way. People do this all the time. They check out. They check out emotionally. They stay away from the home. They stay away from any kind of intimacy with their spouse. They'll put more energy and effort into golf or quilting or hunting or anything that can keep them occupied so that they don't have to relate to their spouse. Anything that can be a barrier. Or, or they will check out physically. They'll leave. They'll find somebody else who seems to get them, who, who seems to, to, to be about making them feel good about themselves again, like their spouse a long time ago did. But the problem with that is, let's say you do leave your spouse because they don't make you feel that way anymore. So you leave your spouse. But guess what? You're still you you are still you. You you leave the relationship. You're still you. And if you have not ever learned the lesson of humility towards somebody else, towards another person, then your problems will come right along with you. I promise you this. Simply trading spouses does not guarantee the solution to any of your problems. Why? Because the solution isn't in them it's really, according to Peter, it's in you and what you choose to do with humility. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility. It begins with you clothing yourself. That means, that means taking the smallest piece when the plate comes to you. It means putting other people first. It, it means to position yourself at the back of the line, which, by the way, as a middle schooler, I learned that there were definite benefits of being at the end of the lunch line. Yeah, the, the people up front, they got to start eating first, but guess what? If you're at the end of the line, you get your seconds with your first. Now, talk about blessings. That That's that's amazing. I I loved that. How do you get there? Well, one simple discipline is... That we can work on is, is to ask ourselves at every point of potential conflict with our spouse. Okay, here's a conflict, here's, here's a potential problem. What would a humble person do? What would a humble person do? What what would a humble how would a humble person respond? If if you can get that, if you can do that, you'll find how groundbreaking that is. Because here's a little secret about humility. If you actually discipline yourself to ask that question, what would a humble person do? Then, having that in mind, if you then begin to start doing what a humble person would do, guess what happens? Guess what happens? When you start to do what a humble person does, you will become more humble. Now, some of you are hearing me and you're thinking, well, I'm humble. That's not the problem in my marriage. The problem is that my spouse needs to be humble, not me. I got this humble thing down pat, and I'd say, "Mm, yeah, probably not. Probably not. Humility is a scary thing. It's a risk. It should give you pause. Because what if I do go back to the back of the line? What if I make that decision to go to the back of the line, and I find out that there is no more food? That they ran out before I got there. Where's my guarantee of being filled? See, humility is a risk. It can be scary. But but church, this is what the Bible promises us. What we find at the end of the line is way more precious, way more precious to our character and to our soul than any extra helping of mystery meat at the middle school cafeteria. So what is it that is waiting for us at the end of the line? Well, it has something to do with the reason that Peter recommends humility, to to clothe ourselves with humility, because it's there in that last part of the verse. Peter says, clothe yourselves with humility, for God opposes the proud. There it is. That's the reason that we should put on humility. Why? Because God opposes the proud. Have you ever watched a football game? When a running back uh, stiff arms a would-be tackler, and he throws that other player out of bounds, out of his way. Man, th- th- those, are, those are amazing plays when, when this little running back can take out and this huge linebacker just pushes him out of the way by stiff-arming. Folks, that's, th- that's the picture that Peter paints for us here. See, if I cannot learn to be humble, then essentially I stiff-arm God. I push away the Holy Spirit out of bounds, out of my way. I I push away the Holy Spirit whose sole purpose is to recreate me in the image of Jesus. That's God's plan for my life. But if I resist that, then Peter says, God opposes me. Now, you might wonder, why would God draw away from proud people? And I'd say this, listen, what is your reaction when you encounter somebody who is arrogant, don't you find yourself kind of opposing them as well, drawing away from them? Don't you, don't you tend to pull back from those who are demanding, who, who try to get what they want out of you because they're only thinking about themselves? We, we don't like to hang out with proud, arrogant people. God, in the same way, opposes the proud. But then Peter continues but he gives grace to the humble. And folks, that's what we find at the end of the line. That's what we find at the end of the line, God's grace, God's favor, his blessing. And when I look in that spiritual mirror, what is at the end of the line is an image that looks just a little bit more like Jesus and less like me. So we have this extraordinary promise here that when we humble ourselves in any relationship, but since we're in this marriage seminar, this series, when we humble ourselves in our marriage, we invite God to come in and do something miraculous and something extraordinary. The, the promise is here. The very next verse, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Not under His hand like He's going to crush us, but rather under His hand so that He can shield and protect us. You see, when we go humble, we back ourselves up into the safest place spiritually that we can be. And what's more, we're ready to be then utilized when God is ready to set us in motion in His upside-down kingdom. See, now we have been headed finally into this last principle, okay? Watch this, because when it is the Lord shielding us and keeping us for the right moment of ministry, then who should be the one that we go to when we feel like throwing things, when we're so frustrated, when we're so disappointed, that we're so angry that we just want to throw things? Here's the verse I want you to memorize. 1 Peter 5.7 1 Peter 5:7 says casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Or another translation is cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. See this, this is this is the humble invitation that you send to God. Lord, I know that I stand in your protection. I am under your mighty hand. But right now I feel like I need to throw something Because things are not working out the way that I wanted them to. I'm frustrated. I'm hurt. I'm disillusioned with this person that I thought was going to fulfill all of my dreams. And God says, good. If you like throwing something, if you need to throw something, throw it at me. Cast. this image of throwing. Casting all of your anxieties. Not on your spouse. Mm Mm-mm. Not on your spouse, but on him. See, such a powerful verse. This is an invitation to unload on God. Instead of dumping on your spouse, God says, throw that box at me. Throw at me all of your anxieties, all of your cares, all of your unfulfilled dreams. See, church, in order to go to the right place when things look bleak in marriage, you've got to be willing to be real, with God, and most of you have no idea what that means. You would never throw anything at God because you're you're way too nice. Whenever you go to pray to God, too many Christians pray only polite prayers. They, they don't know how to be honest with God. But let me ask you: Have you ever read the Psalms? Man, talk about somebody who's honest with God and impolite. See, when, when you're at the point of your marriage when all seems lost. And you you have to take the risk of being real and honest and impolite with God. You've got to go straight to Him and pray some very honest, some very real, some very messy, some very desperate prayers. You're going to spew that energy somewhere, right? So God says, okay, then let me have it. Not the guy lying next to you in bed, not the woman sitting in the other room watching The Bachelor. Throw it at your Father in heaven. That's when you find some of the best answers and the best solutions to the problem. You, you, you see, Dave, P- Peter did not make up this whole cast your cares on the Lord thing. He actually lifted it from one of the Psalms, a, a psalm where David was angry. He had lost his temper, he had been hurt, he had been betrayed by a very close friend. Uh, turns out it was King Saul, uh, who David had considered to be a, a, a great friend, and he was in his employ. And, He was the Lord's anointed, and all of a sudden, King Saul had turned on him. David had been hurt, perhaps much the same way that some of you feel hurt right now towards your spouse. You know, there's uh, this wonderful psalm, Psalm 55, where David is just being real with God. And I'm going to read you some of Psalm 55 just so you can see this, this example of how God wants us to, to come to Him and how He then responds to us and what happens in us when we are real. Psalm 55, uh, verses 12 through 14 says this. David said, if an enemy was insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe was raising himself against me, I could hide from him, but oh, it is you. A man like myself, my companion, my close friend with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walked uh, with the throng at the house of God. Then you jump down to verses 20 and 21. My companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. His speech is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords you see that heart cry? David is bearing his soul. He's saying that this person that I had shared so much with, that I had been so close to, I I would go to worship with this person. This person was my closest companion. This is the one who messed up. This is the one who had hurt me. I, I could take it if it was my enemy, but this is my close companion. How often do we feel that when it comes to our spouse. But see, it's only when David feels comfortable enough to throw that at God, in in a prayer of honesty, in a prayer of desperation, in an impolite prayer, that he is then reminded of God's amazing power. If you go back up to verse 16, I, I love this. David said, but, and I love that word, but, because it really shows that contrast of what I'm feeling, but what I know to be reality is not what I'm feeling. But I call to God, and Jehovah, God, the Lord, saves me. You see, folks, we have a God that heals. Doesn't just heal broken bones, but can heal broken marriages. God can save relationships. I, I truly hope not, none of you heard last month when I preached about divorce that somehow, uh, since there might even be biblical justification for the dissolution of your marriage, that you don't have to see marriage as sacred anymore or something to fight for or to work at. I, I, hope, I hope you heard that troubled marriages in the kingdom of God should make every effort to draw close to God, to lean on His leadership into the church I hope you saw from Scripture that even in cases where divorce might be permitted, it is best, you must take it to God before you take it to court. And like David's words here in Psalm 55, you must take it to God before you take it to the one who offended you, before you take it to your spouse. See, there are marriages represented in our church that will only be healed if God does a miracle. And I know if you're listening to this, you you might be where King David was, crying out, this isn't right, this isn't healthy. Please do something about this, God. Not Dr. Phil, not Dr. Oz, not Dr. Ruth, not even Drs. Dobson, Egerton, Evans, Smalley, and Chapman, though God has spoken through those latter ones that I mentioned. But God, you take it to God. Because he is the one who can save. That's what David said there in Psalm fifty-five, verse sixteen. He invites you to come to him in honesty, with your hurts and your anxieties and your cares and your disappointments and your vulnerability. And guess what? Check out verse twenty-two back in First Peter chapter five. No, I'm sorry, sorry, not there. It's verse twenty-two here in Psalm fifty-five. <laughs> look, look, look at it. Cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. Do you see where Peter got that? Cast your burden on the Lord. Folks, that's the greatest prayer of humility. God, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do it anymore. And God hears that prayer and says, bingo, you cannot do this. But way to go, because you came to the right place. Because you recognize something that the proud person will never see. Because of your sinfulness, because of your self-centeredness, because of your inability to see the biggest picture, to get outside of yourself completely, to squash pride to the point of nothingness, you cannot do this. But I can, says God. I can, and you've come to the right place. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on Him, for He cares for you. We sing the song, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Why does He do that? What's there in the last part of verse 7 of 1 Peter chapter 5. He will lift you up because He cares for you. This is why impolite prayers are accepted by God. Because you're telling Him what is important to you. And church, if it's important to you, it's important to your Father. So as in, we invite Him. As we get on our knees every day and surrender to Him, all those things in our marriage that are not working out, we come to Him demonstrating humility to invite God to come in and do something remarkable. Something miraculous. But be warned, because the first remarkable thing, the first miraculous thing that God does will not be with your spouse. If you are willing to do this, to come to God, to throw them at Him, the first remarkable thing that God does will be in you. You'll begin to see some of those things in your box differently. You might even decide to take certain things out of that box. You might discover that you've been trying to squeeze something out of your spouse that they were not created to even give you in the first place. You may even discover that you both actually are hoping for and dreaming of and wishing for the very same thing. But folks, that transformation will never happen if you're throwing it at them first. Because only God can make it right. And that's the third thing to see in the series. You see, happy couples know that desires can sometimes turn into expectations. They, they know, happy couples know that their spouses don't owe them anything. They know that it's all about mutual submission. And they know that sometimes, sometimes you just have to throw things. But just throw them at the right place. I, I hope just those two portions of Scripture have helped you understand God's heart and His power, and that you begin to discipline yourself to make those wise choices, to not throw things at your husband or your wife, but to throw them at God, and uh, that He then will begin to change what needs to be changed in that relationship to make it much more godly and reflective of what He wants to see happen. You know, I love you guys. I I, I love serving as your pastor, and I love when I see so many people uh, want to find solutions and health for their marriage. And so we pray for you. We pray for you every week, uh, the leadership here, the elders, the staff. We pray for marriages. We pray for those who are struggling. And uh, if you need some help, uh, please feel free to reach out to us. Let us know through email. You can reach me at trey.pbcc at gmail and let us know how we can be praying for you or helping you in this this manner. Uh, Once again, I want to thank our executive producer, Lisa Welly. I do want to thank Steve Pittman for making sure that uh, this is all up and running, all of our media stuff, uh, where you can watch us online every Sunday morning at 8.30 or at 10.30, the live stream that we have here, or you could be just listening to the podcast. Uh, May God bless you this week, and may His light shine through you, and may you find the healing that He has in store for you.